This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DTV Digest. I'm your host, Mike Parkin, and joining me tonight are Richard Hawes. Hello, everyone. And Stephen Lockridge. Hello. Yay. Uh, this week, we've got five main reviews to run through. We're going to kick off with She Came From The Woods. Then we have a British psycho thriller called Cerebrum. Uh, our, what I believe, guys, is our first documentary in Stephen King on screen. Uh, then we have the zombie movie Herd and Pinball, the man who saved the game. Our short shot this week is The Oath, which is a Batman fan film. And then we're going to round up in our DTV throwback with Amityville Dollhouse. So without further ado, let's crack on. Our first review then is She Came From The Woods. It's the end of summer 1987 at Camp Briarbrook, and now the last of the campers are finally on their way home. The counsellors get to unwind and partake in an annual tradition of trying to summon an urban legend. However, when one of the counsellors adds an extra element to the ritual, it proves to be a deadly catalyst, bringing the camp's dark past back to life. Um, I'm going to keep my powder dry for a second. I'm going to throw this straight over to Steve. Steve, what did you make of She Came From The Woods? Very generic. Um, I mean, you know, you look on IMDb, it's listed as a horror comedy. Didn't find it particularly funny. Didn't find it particularly scary. Uh, obviously, it's like, you know, ripping off every other Jason film or whatever from the past but it was just a yeah just a little bit flat you know and there's no surprises or anything like that or you know exactly what's coming the only, I think the only thing to put it in a different light was the the kids you know the young kids coming back yeah and you know the truck breaking down and then they turning up and stuff like that but apart from that it was just a bit boring to be fair it needed Something else just to punch it up. Um, I mean, it, it, it's you know, it's shot well and it's acted well. I mean, you know, you got your typical, you know, jock and wimpy, like jock, you know, thinks he's harder than he is. And then, but the one, the one thing, the one saving grace, I thought there was a couple of decent twists in there, especially with um, kills that you didn't think would. Mm-hmm. Um, but apart from that, yeah, it was just a very, very generic, really. Okay. Uh, Rich, what did you make of She Came From The Woods? I've been looking forward to this one for a long time because uh, it's based on a short film, which mm. I thought was one of the best I'd seen. Still think it's one of the best I've seen. It is uh, very good. Yep. It's, uh, it's it's just got the perfect quality. It, it's um, uh, decently budgeted. Um, you know, properly, instantly recognisable what they're going for. You know, it's, it's a it's a summer camp throwback. You know, in the short film, it's it's it begins at that um, telling the campfire story kind of bit, yeah. and it's only really in the last four minutes that it goes like full on horror movie. Um, but it's sort 
I, I don't know if they intended it as proof of concept, but it's that's essentially what it was. Uh, and you know, a few years later, you know, here we've got the feature version, which that you know they've added things like you know they've managed to get like William Sadler on board and uh, Cara Buono, who's uh, probably most recognisable from Stranger Things, or that's certainly what I recognise them mostly from. Um, the um, the the short film is very. It's got a bit. It, it is, I think, a fairly accurate translation. Uh, it's it's very. It's not really horror comedy. The the original short. There's bits of comedy in it. This I felt had more comedy at the start, um, mm. and then it kind of doesn't maintain that. And then I, so I look at things like we watched um, as the throwback. Uh, you might be the killer, mm-hmm. which had a lot of comedy in it. There's a lot of very much horror comedy kind of thing and you know another film you know what this is one of many homages to the slasher cycle that have been coming along and are still coming along there's more down the pike you know coming it's it's a it's a period of cinema that you know a lot of a lot of up and coming filmmakers want to have their have their stab at you know because they love it so much which yep. is fair enough um this is um very well executed i think it's uh it's a bit different because it's got kind of the witch angle, and as as you guys were were saying, like the kids, a uh, bit of a children of corn kind of element to it. Um, the the sort of uh, um, what's an Agatha? Uh, Agatha is largely off screen. Uh, it's most she's um, it's more the, say things like the kids and stuff that you see. Um, I liked it. I did like it. I wanted to like it a lot more. Um, I think the sort of tonal shifts of introducing some stuff that's very heightened, very exaggerated, like that real, you know, douchebag character who's, you yeah. know, he's he's very cartoonishly drawn. And there's a couple, he's probably the most cartoonish character, but there's there's a couple of cartoony characters in there. But then the overall tone of it is quite straight. Uh, so it's a, it's a bit uneven at places, but I, I can't really critique, criticise that too much. I, I thought, you know, I did. I did like it. You know, as you guys are saying, it looks really good, sounds really good. You know, the kills are really good. It's it's all it's all there. And I think the fact that it's say a witch rather than like a Jason Voorhees or you know kind of character, which a lot of these films typically have, like you say, you might be the killer or um, nobody sleeps in the woods tonight. The Polish films, mm-hmm. uh, they um, which is more about sort of uh, two a couple of sort of inbred cannibal type killers in that but you know they're, they're all uh, I think this one sort of sets itself apart a little bit more because of that um, the the kill the killer is more an atmospheric presence rather than rather than a you know uh, a physical presence who we're constantly seeing you know it's very different to Jason Voorhees for example I I, I didn't like this you didn't I, like it I loved it Oh, you loved it. Uh, you see, you faked me out there for a second. <laughs> no, I, I thoroughly loved this. Um, yeah, I, I didn't. I mean, it is, you know, it is a very, I suppose, sort of generic setting. Like, like as Steve says, we, you know, the, you know, the summer camp sort of slasher sort of trope is is quite well worn. Um, but that's the point. That's what yeah. they're, oh, that, no, that, yeah, that's yeah, what they're yeah, all going exactly. for in that. Yeah. That's the, well, point, we had, the final girls, you know, and all that. We had the final stuff. girls. We had um, yeah, um, <clears throat> uh, Fear Street Part Two last year, <clears throat> which was another really good example. I, I thought this worked really well. 
I thought the urban legend bit was really cool. And, and like in the shorts, when they discover that actually it was all true, you know, there's, there's that little bit of mystery to, to it, that sort of bit of discovery going on. Yeah. The third, I do the say, I think kill. the short is better in that part. I do yeah. think the short that did it better. Yeah. Cause there was a couple, there's a couple of things they changed. The cast is completely different mm. to the short and, and the tone yeah. is also a little bit different. They've added stuff to the, Mm. to the to that that particular scene and stuff you know like the even when uh the woman who runs the camp comes along in the short she's mm. a completely different style of character to yeah, what we've cool. got in the feature where they've built up this mythology of this family of running the mm. camp and everything it's quite a different proposition yeah. but i do think that um campfire uh execution you know of that scene i, I mm. was one of the best things about the short and i don't think that quite carried into this um mm. but that's a very safe very very slight critique the um the, the first kill is brilliantly br brutal it just comes you know it almost comes out of nowhere but it, it's it's got that sort of brilliant sort of um you know sort of watching a character in the background yeah and it, it, there's a sort of little bit of inevitability it's almost like it mm -hmm. follows you know i thought that was a, a really good moment some of the other kills are re really good um the is there a kill like the ones in the short if you if you remember no you've seen the short i've seen the shot no it is different um yeah because i remember that sort of the leeches and stuff the, yeah so i thought that was really well done but the i, I think yeah the, which yeah. is great because that's what makes them sad you can watch yeah. the, the two different things together mm. and they actually don't overlap too much yeah. you can, um, you can almost to, like see it as a prequel couldn't you do you know yeah or or even if it was they it could have if it was named a different camp yeah it could be the same story happening in a different place or something. You could have linked it that way, but it is very much a Camp Brybrook, yeah. and it is supposed to be the same uh, chain, yeah. sort of chain of there events. Are, are brilliant little bits, uh, you know, some some great sort of jump cuts, like um, mm -hmm. when the when the older brother, you know, that the, the uh, minibus breaks down, and he lifts the mm -hmm. lifts lifts the the bonnet of the car, and then when he puts it down again in the same shot, all the kids are gone, and the, you know, I thought that was re really well done. Yeah, loads of little. Yeah, because that's like, what I think. There's a lot of mystery yeah. around that. That the whole involvement of the kids mm. added something quite novel because you 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 don't realise what's going on mm. at first, and it's it sort of adds a adds an extra element. It's um, where, whereas the kids in let's say Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight, whatever it was, you know there are kids around, but they're mm. they're there purely to be sort of terrorised. And in this, yeah. they actually play a more involved role, and not just in terms of you know sort of. Uh, swearing at the councillors and stuff like that and to, to get to get some laughs there's actually yeah i did like the yeah scary I mean, scenes with them. there was the one yeah. thing i thought the open you know that the um the first like bit of introducing all the characters including all the kids who are going to be part of it um mm. it did take a long time you know before yeah. things got going but you know at the same time i can appreciate it because when stuff does happen you know you're going oh you know, you know a little bit more about the characters, e e even the kids, you know, sort of what, what happens to them, which I thought yeah. was um, very well done. Um, the, the sort of um, bleach blonde douchey guy, um, I, I kind of had him pegged as being like um, like a closeted gay guy. Um, you know, yeah. he, he just seems like too alpha, as it's, you know, he's, yeah. he's, he's putting on a persona sort of thing. But I did like um, what an asshole he was. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he he does a burke at one point, you know, which I thought was um, quite sad, but funny at the same time. But yeah, no, I I thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, I, I thought it was very very good. 
Um, and, you know, looking at, um, oh, what's, what's his name? Blomquist? Blomquist, yeah. You know, uh, and looking at his filmography and I'm sort of like going, why haven't I seen any of these films? You know, um, uh, I'm definitely going to have to sort of work my way through some of them. Hopefully they're not shit. But um, I'm, I'm very curious that a sort of filmmaker of this stature has sort of passed me by and uh, definitely want us to go and sort of check out some of his other films. Yeah, he makes uh, them with his brother Carson. Uh, they, mm. They're sort of, I think Carson's producing and co um, mm. co-writing on this. Mm. Um, in the in the original short, it was credited to both the brothers, and the, the this one, uh, Eric's got the thing. I will say, stick around for the end credits because the, 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 there's an end credits yeah. sequence which is really well, nicely put so together. Right at the end. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, yeah, no, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, and how are we going to score it, uh, Steve? I'll give it a six. Mm -hmm. And Rich? I will give it a seven. I'm going to trump both of you with an eight. So that is a six, a seven, and an eight for She Came From The Woods. We heartily recommend you go check it out, except Steve. But there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Our next review is Cerebrum. After spending a year in a coma, William finally wakes up and is brought home by his emotionally distant father, who tells him that his mother wants to keep her distance. However, as he slowly recovers, William is confronted with some dark truths about his accident and his father's current experiments. I think for me, Rich, the most surprising thing about this film is that it's British. It, it, it doesn't feel like, I mean, well, it's Swiss. It's like um, it really? it's like a it's like a Swiss co-production. Um, oh, okay. the, the director is the the writer and director, I believe, is is a Swiss filmmaker, uh, Sebastian Blanc. Uh, so it does have this kind of mixture. I think of it. It does feel very British, but it also feels not not quite so British. You know, it doesn't. Yeah, feel... you're right. Yeah, especially with yeah. the father. European thing. sensibility, if you see what I'm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you, you know, now you say that, yeah, there's that sort of Swiss influence to it. That does sort of make sense with the, um, uh, you know, William's father. Um, he, he's sort of very sort of buttoned up, but he has these sort of outbursts, doesn't he? As he, as he, when he thinks he's alone and things like that, it's it's uh, very interesting. I really enjoyed this. I, I, you know, knew nothing about it going in. Um, I wasn't quite sure early on when he get like you know, sort of ghostly apparitions and things going on. You're not sure what's really happening. Um, but but it sort of settles down into this sort of interesting um, sort of concept. Um, and it sort of basically boils down to like mad scientist syndrome, which, you know, and it's, yes. it's, I think it's just, it's done really, really well overall. Uh, what did you make of it? Yeah, I did like it. It is, like you say, it, it does uh, explore some, it's quite, psychological but also quite literal hmm. um there's the you're you're not quite where you sure where you stand for the first part uh, and then sort of you know things become a bit more revealed later on but there's a there's a lot going on with the uh, the psychology of the lead character hmm. you know and the fact that he's been through this traumatic experience so he's having um hallucinations and things like that uh and then there's the element yeah, but, of you're not quite sure sorry go on 
I was going to say, but yeah, but his father seems to be sharing those hallucinations, which is like mm. really weird, you know. Well, that's what the thing was, was I wasn't sure whether he'd actually left the hospital, if you see what I mean. Mm. It's like how much of this is in his head is yeah, kind yeah. of where, where I was thinking of it for a long time. And it's like mm. how much is how much is literal and how much is like purely like in his imagination. Mm. Uh, and it, and it comments with things like with flashbacks and stuff to sort of explore what actually happened uh, and you know the guilt that he's feeling about that mm. there's a certain amount of open to stuff that's open to interpretation but then i think you get to a certain point where it's it's not every, everything's a bit everything's much more literal I'm but... yeah I, I i i toyed with that idea as well but i think if, if it was going down that route it, there would have been signposts, you know, that they'd have had to throw you a few clues to try and clue you, you know, to, to try and help you come to that conclusion. But it, it didn't. It played this, you know, it played it relatively straight. So yeah, you know, after a while, I thought, well, no, by now, they, 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 I should have seen something which would have, you know, helped me get get you know jump to that conclusion. But there isn't. So yeah, it was. When I was watching it, because of the style of the film that it is, it's very. Um, it's it's low budget, but it's very, uh, um, very real well world yeah, yeah. domesticated. Mm -hmm. It's got a situation, small yeah. cast, and obviously the British setting and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, it really reminded me of a film that we talked about. I think it's a couple of years ago now, called Repeat, yes. which was a, a science fiction story. It was yeah. Uh, about time travel and and it was a mystery and, and stuff like that and mm -hmm. and I think there was there's comparable elements in this to that you know and um, I did think that was really good by the way uh, repeat if nobody's seen it is on it was, Prime. It was one of our films of the year. Um, was that yeah? Was that the one we Charlotte Ritchie in? Yes, it was. Yes, yes yeah, I was cracking that. Mm. Yes, yeah, so I sort of uh, that was the film. This that. This doesn't remind you of many, th or didn't remind me of many things. It was quite distinctive in what it was going for, but I, th and I think Repeat did the same thing. You know, it's mm. it's kind of venturing down sort of very sort of some quite conventional, you know, sci-fi, or in this case, a little bit horror sort of tropes, mm. but it just feels different. It feels a bit more of an organic kind of thing, and. Uh, yeah, it's a bit more novel, but stands out from the crowd, I think. And I, um, yeah. I don't think this is as good as Repeat, but I do think it's very interesting. Hmm. I think, yeah, because it's such a, it is a smaller cast, uh, this hmm. one, so, so they're having to carry a lot more of what happens, you know, um, and and especially since our protagonist William, I think for like the first half of the film, he can't speak uh, as well, yeah. which you know it, it just makes it that much more harder to sort of convey what's sort yes. of going on but yeah i thought this was very very good um quite original not not you know i mean when you get to the end it's like okay you know <laughs> um there, there are definite sort of classic storylines being used here um but it, you know getting there was very good and I, th and I love that sort of ending as well that sort of a, a the, sort of the irony that sort of drips from that final bit um i thought, I thought was very good uh, so, any, any, anything else to add on that one, Rich? No, I think I say there was uh, there was a film that it reminded me, another film that reminded me of in certain elements. But if I said mm. what that was, it would spoil it. So, it so I'm not going to say what that yeah, was. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you, I'd say you know, go in knowing as little as possible is the best mm. thing for 
any film, uh, any sort of film like this, really. Um, so yeah, I'd say there's some solid performances here from a cast I'm not familiar with. Um, you know, it's very much a, an unknown quantity. Uh, so, um, but yeah, give it a chance. Absolutely, people will be interested. In that, uh, and on that note, Rich, how are you going to score it? I'm going to give this another this uh, seven as well. Yeah, I'm going to join you on a seven for this one. So that's two sevens for Cerebrum. Go check it out. Our next review is Stephen King on screen. This is a documentary featuring the filmmakers who have brought Stephen King's works to the screen. Uh, chief among them being Frank Frank Darabont. Frank Darabont. Mm -hmm. Get it out eventually. Yeah. Put my teeth back in. Um, he of uh, Shawshank and um, The Mist, of course. Uh, but we've also got uh, Mike Flanagan, who did um, uh, Doctor Sleep and a couple of others Gerald. as well. Gerald's Game was one of the others, wasn't it? Um, yeah, so it starts off with a nice sort of vignette as well, doesn't it? It's, it's sort of little um, little scene. Um, it's like a short film, basically. It's almost like a short film, yeah. yeah. Where, where they sort of like drop some, uh, you know, loads of references to bits of Stephen King's works, which I thought... Apparently there's like 300. <laughs> really? What, 300 yeah. cl clues? Apparently there's like 300 references. Oh, my word. In, in, in that sort of wraparound, yeah. God. Yeah. No, that, that was quite interesting itself. Um, I, I did feel, you know, after, once that bit finished um, and it was introducing sort of the various people are going to be talking through the thing, it did get a bit lovey-dovey mm -hmm. for a bit. You know, they were gushing over Stephen King for, for a bit. And it sort of settled down. They started talking about individual films. And, I'd, you know, I, I got into that bit. But at the beginning, I was thinking, oh, this is a wank fest. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Um, but when they actually started talking about the films themselves, and like Frank Darabont, for example, talking about Shawshank, um, and then what, what surprised me as well was um, Craig R. Baxley had, had directed mm. a couple as well. I, you know, um, I'd never actually seen Storm of the Century, and I'm like, I want to see this. You know, I always thought it was a bit of a, a weird one because that was a, a mini series, I believe, wasn't it? Storm of yeah, the I think that one was not an adaptation. Like that's one that King wrote wrote specifically oh, right. for well, television, okay. if I recall yeah. correctly. Yeah, which he does, which he has done occasionally. There's yeah. a mention of a couple in here where he's like, he he just wrote wrote it as a film or wrote yeah. it as a thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there was some in there which I must admit I've not heard of, you know. And, and as we as we know, um, uh, Stephen King do, he does sort of allow people to adapt his works, especially his short stories. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so I mean, we know Alice Mayer McKay picked one up for example, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, you know, as, as a sort of primer for, as, as, uh, you know, for King's work, I thought this was actually quite interesting, sort of seeing how stuff's brought to the screen. Uh, Steve, did you like this one? Yeah, it was good. Um, I'll be honest, I mean, I was a big King fan when I was younger. Mm. Um, read quite I, a lot. I've only read one story by Stephen King, and that was... Uh, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, okay, which was part of the something seasons book. It was like four not uh, novellas. Yeah, I'm trying to think which one it was. It had um it had the body in it, which was the Stand by Me story yeah. as well, which I never actually bothered to read. I just read that one. I thought different it was seasons, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that's seasons, it. That's yeah, it. Yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah, mm. yeah, I have read it. Like I said, it was years ago, but no, it was interesting. I mean. 
I'll be honest, at first, when I put it on, and that, you know, a little vignette at the beginning, I was like, is this... What is it? Mean, I was, I was, it'd be an interesting idea, wouldn't it? It would be an interesting idea yeah. if they did a whole film like that. That would be quite weird. Well, they've done mm. Castle Rock, didn't they, the series? Which mm, that's right. I, I started, but didn't really get into it. But no, I mean, to be, it was interesting. I mean, a lot of it... If you're a King fan, it's not... I don't think there's anything really new in there. Mm. You know, even like the Darabon interviews and stuff like that, it's all kind of been said before and, not, you know, mm. I've read about it before and stuff like that. But it is decent, passing the time well, you know, it's interesting. I wouldn't say it's a mind-blowing, you know, behind-the-scenes documentary, but, you know, it's, it's decent. It was... It was an hour and a half not wasted you know what I mean it was decent yeah I agree how do you get on with this one Rich I liked it it is, it is very straightforward it doesn't have the sort of pizzazz of like a you know like the uh, the films being made by the team that did like Corman's World and not just Hollywood and mm-hmm. uh, Electric Boogaloo the untold story wild story uh, canon films canon, the canon films yeah, documentary yeah. Um, stuff like that I mean, I love any film or, or other films like um, uh, Iron Fists and Kung Fu Kicks and, and stuff like that. Uh, so I, I love a film. I love documentaries about movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought this one was very straight, sort of straight down the middle. Not really anything particularly. Um, not that I didn't like it. I did like it. But, you know, apart from that opening, which is really interesting, um, yeah. they did that. Um, it is very straightforward you know here's an interview here's a clip here's some behind the scenes and it's structured very you know typically you know here's like a 10-15 minute segment on The Shining mm. here's a, a you know 10-15 minutes on The Shawshank Village I would have liked to have seen it sort of delve a bit bit deeper into some of the more obscure I mean they don't really mention how many adaptations there have been I know they they, they represent a cross-section because hmm. uh, you know mo- uh, feature films and TV and, uh, yeah. and stuff but you know I would have liked to have sort of had a whole bit about the children of the corn and how we ended up with like 15 of those <laughs> and things like that um, yeah. because the sheer scale I mean how much money he must get from the hmm. rights to his films alone um, well, uh, it must be he I'm must aware. have an extraordinary amount of money. He must be the most adapted no. writer ever. Mm. I mean, it, he's thing, probably been adapted more times than Shakespeare or the, the Bible. Is, <laughs> as, as far as I'm aware, what he does is, if someone comes to him, he sells the movie rights for a dollar. Mm. He uh, doesn't that. Well, the thing, I think he does that with like short filmmakers, you know, people who are trying to, but there's certain caveats attached to that. If, yeah. if it was something, if it was a bigger project or whatever, I, I don't think that would be the case. Um, Maybe not. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I, I'm actually that. Yeah. But, I'm pretty sure he didn't do that with Doctor Sleep, for example. <laughs> <laughs> but that, the, the Doctor Sleep actually part's really interesting because... You know, they go, they do a whole thing about, you know, which most, pretty much every Stephen King fan would know that uh, he's, he, uh, that Stephen King hated the Stanley Kubrick adaptation. There's an interesting discussion about that and how personal the book was to him and how, you know, Kubrick took it in a complete direction and stuff. So that makes a lot of sense. But then they made Doctor Sleep, which was 
both trying to be a faithful adaptation of a king book mm, but also yeah. he was saying i can't do it yeah. yeah he was saying i can't do it differently because that is what people think of i mean i know he did the mini yeah. tv miniseries that they go into but he said that's the thing people know the kubrick movie is what people know so i have to reference that so he, he was walking a tightrope so really interesting yeah. Uh, to hear him talk about that, uh, Mike Flanagan. The um, yeah, they say they dwell on a lot of the the stuff that you know. You know, it's it's yeah. the Shawshank and stuff. It's nice that they delve. They did a little bit on the mist, which is kind of the one one of the ones that mm. didn't do well. That was like the the third one, I think, that Darabont did, and it just wasn't it wasn't a hit. But that ending mm. is just insanely uh, memorable, yeah. <laughs> devastating yeah. ending. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, it's become a TV series now. There, there were, all of these things. They didn't do anything on Maximum Overdrive, which I would have no. liked to have seen. Also, um, Sleepwalkers as well. Hmm. Yeah, because there only have so many. I mean, there's been so many. Yeah. They, they yeah. had to be selective. I mean, really, uh, it would have been nice if this was like a three-hour documentary. They could have gone into a lot more. This is an yeah. uh, hour, hour and 45 minutes, something like that. Um, and say it's fine, especially for the un uninitiated or the or the people who don't know very much. But it's say I would have liked to have seen it really sort of delve in a bit more. Um, we get some good interviews. So I say we've got Flanagan, we've got Mike um, uh, Mike Garris, Mike, well. uh, Mike Garris, and Craig Baxley and yeah. uh, uh, Tom. Uh, oh God, is it Holland? I'm, I'm, just, I'm thinking Tom Holland, but it's not. It's not, it's not it is Tom no, Holland. Yeah, same name. Yeah, same name. Tom Holland. Yeah, it's on Tom Holland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mark Hill, uh, Nick guy, Garris. Sorry, the, the guy who does the Creepshow TV series as well. Can't remember his yeah. name. Yes, uh, Nicotero, wasn't it? Greg Nicotero, wasn't it? That's it, Nicotero. Um, that's it. And then yeah, uh, Vincenzo Natale, who did Cube. Mm. He's in there. Taylor Hackford. Loads of people. Um, mm. Interestingly, though, not Stephen King himself. So yeah. It, yeah. it's got kind of a posthumous kind of feel to it, it but does. he's very much alive. So I think yeah. there was a conscious decision there to not interview King himself because then it would be about what King thinks of his own films yeah. or the adaptations yeah. of his films yeah. rather than the filmmakers, which is what I think the angle here was. Yeah, exactly. That they wanted yeah. to sort of keep the focus off King. Yeah. So King is nowhere to be found except for some archive footage um, there is, and um, some like interview scenes. There is an interesting bit of sort of internet um sort of uh, sort of rumors that they sort of skirt around a bit they, they do sort of circle mm. it um and that is um his wife mm. and yeah. it is rumored it is very strongly rumored that she actually ghost wrote the sort of more female-centric books that he did like dolores claiborne and misery mm. And, and rose oh, right. and, and things like that um never never been proven never been um confirmed or denied but is there and, and in in this sort of documentary they skirt around it a bit you know they come close they sort of say how much of an influence she's been and all the rest of it um you know being a strong female character but yeah, yeah. nobody actually dares okay. <laughs> sort of make any sort of aspersions towards it but it is one of those sort of um perennial sort of internet rumors uh, oh, that's um, interesting what, but what the thing is he's always written female characters yeah, i mean oh, no. um, that, i mean yeah, that, they go what, into that a lot carrie, in the film like yeah. carrie and stuff oh, carrie, yeah. um, what would you say yeah. what would you say hmm. was the worst king adaption king king adaptation 
that you've seen? Uh, oh. I probably can't even think of it at the moment because I can't. Mm. Uh, I, I, honestly, I'd probably say the original Stan miniseries. All right. Oh, interesting. Okay. One with Molly Ringbold and yeah. Eric Stoltz in that one, I think. Yes. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. And Rob Lowe. That's right. Rob, Rob Lowe or something, yeah. Yeah, so. I, I was very disappointed in that. I mean, yeah. to be fair, he's probably about well, 25 years since I've seen it, but... Yeah. Um, For me, yeah. Well, the, the worst thing I've seen with his name attached to it was the Langoliers. See, oh, I yeah. like that. I love that, mate. Yeah. Uh, I love well, it, it, so... It's just, it's just a really crappy, terrible. yeah. It's the crappy the Maltese. It's not CGI Maltesers eating everything. Yeah. Oh, dreadful. But, um, I said that Tommy Knockers wasn't great neither. Well, Tommy Knockers. Well, that was another TV miniseries, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. That yeah. was a was it a miniseries, Tommy Knockers? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was, and they released it as like a three-hour video. J- Jimmy Smith, wasn't yeah. it? Jimmy Smith, yeah. Oh, Dreamcatcher. I'm just, I'm just trying to have a look through. <laughs> <laughs> through the, through the uh, um, I mean, I haven't seen Cell, but I'd heard that oh, was yeah. pretty rubbish. Yeah, they talk that about was, Cell, yeah, 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 that was a bit shit. Um, to be fair, yeah. But here's another thing: I would have liked to have if they did this, if they did talk to like unof- like some of these short films or whatever. That would have been good. Or mm. like the unofficial adaptations. Like there's a really, there's like a a, a Bollywood, you know, an Indian version yeah. of the story, um, which was in Cat's Eye, which was uh, the, uh, the the one about smoking with Quitazing. Oh yeah. So Quitazing oh, was yeah, adapted yeah. for Cat's Eye with um, James Woods, and then they, there was an Indian movie which was basically was based, you know, like a, a two-hour movie. Yeah. On that on that premise, which was really quite an interesting movie. I would I would love to have seen them explore like stuff like that rather than mm. just going going talking about all the stuff that you know we're more familiar with. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I'm just trying to. I'm just having to flip. I mean, he's got like. Th- is there? There's over like 300 adaptations, yeah. and there's yeah. like 20 on the way. <laughs> it's like it's, we're not short of King stuff uh, going around. There's a lot of shorts in there, but there's also you know, I. Thing is, I, I think for, for every good one, there's there, yeah. there's probably at least two crap ones. Yeah. yeah things like I mean, have yeah. you seen Dreamcatcher, for example? See, I like Dreamcatcher. Yeah. It's, it's, I liked it when yeah. I first saw it, but you know, it's it's just crazy. It is. I tried reading or listening to many Stephen King stories. He's he's kind of one. Of, he's kind of a writer that I've always really wanted to like, but I've kind of never quite clicked with his work. Mm. So I used to buy a lot of the books when I was a kid. I, I did um, read at least some of Dolores Claiborne, for example, and. Um, I had copies. I had like Christine and stuff, but I don't think I ever read it. I think I was a bit put off by how long it was. Um, mm. But I love Chris. Christine's probably my favourite adaptation because I love that film. Yeah. Um, that. But the. Um, but I've never. Yeah, I've, I I lot. I'm interested in Stephen King, the writer, but not necessarily in his writing. So, like for example, his book on writing. Yeah, is really that. interesting where he talks about his process and stuff. Uh, there's there's a book he did called Dance Macabre. Which is like a history of like pop fiction horror and mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which is really so. It's non these are this non fiction stuff that he's done. Yeah. I've probably engaged with more than his fiction, but I've always I've tried to give stuff a go, like Hearts and Atlantis, uh, from a viewer Kate, things like that. But 
yeah, not not just not so much, unfortunately. There's certain films of his that that are explored here that I'd really love to see, like The Dark Half, which I've never properly seen. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, oh, they didn't talk about. See, here would have been a good story: The Lawnmower Man. They didn't talk oh, about yeah. the Lawnmower Man, which is a really interesting story because he basically, um, it, they basically took the title, and the, yeah. the whole the film has nothing to do with it. But they yeah. and then he um, he sued to have his credit taken off, but he still got all the money for it. <laughs> so so he, he he got he got away with loads of money for for the film, which ended up not. Uh, so basically, moderate he, he got all this money yeah. just for coming up with the title, basically. Yeah, I mean they didn't they didn't yeah. adapt the story, but they were going to because they changed it so much. They were just trying to exploit his name. Yeah, and um, ultimately it's. It, I think that everybody knew that anyway because it became such a big story that yeah. the, that people that the film ended up benefiting from that association anyway. Uh, but I think it ended up being quite a, a, a modest hit. I mean, it was very um, uh, popular, sort of known at the time, wasn't it? The, um, yeah. the VR thing and everything. It was it's a good movie. Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan. Uh, Jeff, Jeff um, Fahey. Yeah. It's a good. It's a it's a good spin on. Um, sort of the Frankenstein story but if you read I've, which I, I've read or listen I can't remember if I listened to it or read it but the the original story nothing like it it's like it couldn't be more different it's like about this I don't know it's, I can't even describe it it's like this really weird little story um anyway but that's it was kind of the 90s all that sort of stuff kicking in it was 1990 they talk about that yep. a bit um the um but the Running Man wouldn't that have been great if they'd talked about the Running Man, mm. which they do a reference to, but they don't talk about. Yeah, they do. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's they don't talk about the, uh, the, the, the Richard Buckman stuff. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back to the, the actual documentary. Um, Steve, how are you going to score uh, Stephen King on screen? I'll I'll give it a seven. Mm-hmm. I think this is a solid seven, and Rich. Yeah, I think despite my misgivings, it's very it's it's a very solidly made watchable documentary uh definitely worth a seven yeah absolutely so three sevens for stephen king on screen go check it out our next review is heard alex and jamie are two women who are trying to outrun their past when they are caught in the middle of a zombie-like outbreak and warring militia groups um this is a well-made film, um, which is trodding, treading a well-trod path. Um, it has some interesting spins, admittedly, but you know, there's not a lot here we haven't seen before. The things we haven't seen before, though, I did like. Um, there are definite, definite. Um, oh, what's what I'm looking for? Sort of metaphors for COVID in this film um and and it, it's almost like if you take lockdown and extrapolate it to the apocalypse to a, to an apocalyptic level that's kind of like where we are with this film you know this isn't like trying to get the last toilet roll out of sainsbury's you know this is like people sort of gearing up with weapons and stuff to to you know get hold of supplies and things and it does ask the question, like, you know, what's 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 more likely to kill you, you know, the the zombie-like virus or the zombies themselves, or, you know, just being around these fucking lunatics with guns, basically, 
because some of them are reveling in the situation, aren't they? They're, you know, they, they they are seriously cosplaying their, their wettest dreams um, yeah. in this. There's one particular guy who's, who's like, um, I don't know, sort of, sort of second in command of this group that they, they sort of the women find themselves hanging out with, and they're being attacked by this other group of sort of more military militarized sort of militia. And this guy's going, I want to be at the front so I can sort of help you shoot these guys. And go, yeah, but you're supposed to be at the back, sort of protecting the back door. And he's like, oh, no, I've got that covered. And <laughs> you find out he's, le he's left this five-year-old kid with a full rifle, with a full-size yeah. rifle to protect the back door. And then they have a go at him. <laughs> they have a go at the kid for, let, you know, not doing anything when, when they break in. I thought, oh, my God. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a lot to like here, I must admit. Uh, how do you go with this one, Steve? Um, it just reminded me of like a couple of episodes of The Walking Dead slapped together. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it, to be fair, the beginning where they're on the camping trip and, you know, the kayaking and stuff, well, it was really well shot. Yep. And then also, you know, you've obviously got the um, homophobia coming to the fore with, with um, a dad. Yeah. You know, and his reactions and stuff like that and where it places them in in the compound and stuff like that with the society that they've got there. But, it, yeah, it just, again, felt a little bit flat. It's, again, something that we've seen before. There's nothing really new there. It just dragged a little bit for me. I mean, there's there's some decent stuff in there. I mean, where I thought the, the homophobia bit, I thought was done really, really well. Mm -hmm. one, one thing that kind of baffled me was like the time frame on it. Yeah. Because if, if I remember rightly... I think it's like a week or something, isn't it? Is that, is that like, yeah. A yeah, week, maybe two weeks week. at the most, yeah. And there's, I just don't... Didn't, get that they've become so militarised or, you know, this, in the course of a week, it's a bit quick. So this is America we're talking about. Well, and, yeah, yeah. And, and the thing yeah. is, it, it's it's the American Midwest as well, isn't it? it it's like, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's not like New York or Los Angeles or something. It's like, you know, definite sort of like MAGA country that we're, that we're dealing yeah. with. And there's that conversation at the end when, when she overhears them. You know, in the way they're talking, yeah. it's like, oh my god, this is like real sort of oathkeeper shit. You know, it, it really, you know, proud boys and all that. It's like, oh my god, yeah, you, you could certainly see it. You know, you could, yeah. you could certainly see it happening. Um, whereas in England, you know, okay, people might slap you around a bit, or sort of like, to snatch the last bog roll or something. But yeah, um, yeah I say, but but nothing to that extreme. Yeah, I mean, you know. You get idiots in America who will, you know, they'll kill someone because they lost a basketball game, you know, yeah. sort of stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I, I can certainly see it. And I could certainly see, you know, the preppers and all the rest of it sort of um, acting up. And it, it kind of reminded me as well of um, the ending of Shaun of the Dead to that extent. There's a certain normalcy coming back, but at the same time, you know, the, these people are sort of like, they've been, you know, their, their attitudes have been weaponized 
if you see what yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. you know they, they've sort of got this sort of bravado. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, Rich, how do you get on with Herd? I liked it a lot. It's got, it's got a very gripping opening uh, with Corbin Burnson uh, dealing with an attack. Uh, and as soon as uh, I, I was gripped from that opening scene, I could see it was really well made, well shot. Mm-hmm. Um, Corbin Burnson and actually in a you know a decent role for a change. I, I didn't expect we were going to see a lot of him, but mm-hmm. I thought you know it was it was the best thing I've seen him do for a while. Um, and then we uh, develop this. Uh, we find ourselves with these characters, uh, this couple, and they're um, on their way on a trip. And uh, you know then there's sort of signs of of stuff in the background or whatever that things are going a bit wrong. Uh, and you know they're sort of going into dodgy territory. Um, it's for, I think it very much carries on what George Romero was doing in the original Night of the Living Dead. It's very socio-political. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. um, the the whole all the stuff with the uh, the hunters, as as all, you know, whatever we want to call them, the the, the people who are going down to sort of uh, you know shoot the. Zombies, we'll call them because they're basically zombies. But as you were saying, this is another sort of twenty-eight days later sort of virus kind of situation. Yeah. Um, but it's um, zombies, or, or for one of a better word. Um, I and I can definitely. I've not watched The Walking Dead, but I can definitely see why it would be likened to The Walking Dead. I think it's impossible not to. Um, there's so you know, there's a lot of there's so many of these stories now. It's set in that kind of situation. Um, and that is probably the most well known at the moment. The but I think it does go back to Night of the Living Dead and what he was what he was doing in that. I mean, in that movie, you had a black leading character, uh, and the there's uh, the say the the uh, not militia. I don't know what's it called. The um, the sort of groups going around trying to mm. take them out, and there's an emphasis on that. And like you were saying, there's sort of this enjoyment that they seem to be having about what they're doing and uh, and i think this film carries that through it's 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 dwelling on those same kind of characters uh, and also dealing with a situation which is um equally sort of transgressive to those people um you know that they they you know in, in in the 60s having this you know um uh, Af- you know african american character uh, trying to boss boss everyone around, or whatever wasn't taken particularly well, uh, and in and in this case we've got a couple. Uh, I don't know how much we want to say about it, but we've got a couple of characters who, in themselves, are uh, not the most accepted. Uh, so therefore, there's a there's a sort of an element of risk there about you know what might happen to them because of who they are. Um, the film didn't quite go in the direction that I was thinking it was going to. I thought with the title heard and stuff, and I thought, I thought that there was going to be more sort of turning on each other kind of, you know, kind of stuff happening, but it doesn't quite pan out. It, it really it only comes yeah. in right at the end, doesn't it? So there's, there's a revelation yeah. right, right towards the end hmm. where, you know, there's a bleakest moment when suddenly it humanizes the, you know, the zombies in a way you don't expect, which I thought was quite interesting. I thought the zombie. Well, thing... that's the thing here. That, I mean, this is another zombie movie mm. where the zombies are not actually the main threat. It's kind of that, yes, it's that exactly. same theme of that 
we are the real monsters or whatever yeah. it's us not not yeah. not the thing that yeah. that's making the thing that's getting us all worried is not the main thing that's the, that's the danger we're the danger kind of thing but it again it doesn't dwell on that too much it doesn't do too much with that which is fine because that's something that's been quite heavily explored oh, yeah. in the past yeah, yeah. and whatever so i didn't mind that but there is this emphasis on the on say the militia versus this um i presume their government uh types because they've got the you know they've got all these resources they're led by timothy murphy uh who we've seen in a couple of things like um mm -hmm. uh i can't remember what it was american siege uh and stuff like that or he's he's kind of a ed harris type i would say yes uh, and he and he's just really you know it's, <laughs> it, it, they lay their cards on the table with what kind of character he is quite soon um so you've got like the bad and the worst kind of thing <laughs> it's like between that but and this is kind of um uh what some of the later films sort of dwells on these kind of action moments and stuff which are which are all very well done but there's a lot going on with uh the central character and her backstory mm. and all, all the stuff with corvin bernson basically because there's this real sort of tug um in different directions because we 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 know from the testimonies of the other characters that this called the character that Corbin Burnson plays is much admired you know they 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 their lives to him and all that sort of stuff but at the same time there's this other you know this hidden part of his, when, I don't think it's even so hidden but maybe just not noticed or just ignored you know of of, of uh the way he's treated his family uh and that is the big way that the that the main character ca carries and there's a certain uh, arc that she has to go through with that in order in both trying to come to terms to with what happened and sort of you know re-encountering -enc you know her past you know coming back to where she came from and everything but also dealing with the fact that uh, people do owe their lives to you know it's like it's really awkward uh, sort of sort of situation but so quite an quite an uh what's i'm trying to think kind of kind of kind of complex character and we don't actually spend a lot of time with him it's it's like a couple of scenes and then it's what other people think of him or remember of him or say about him so we, we we're not able to draw any particular conclusions apart from the seeing some of his uh more heinous actions and whatever so so you're very i think in my to my in my side you know you're very much, a, you know, you, you see him as like this unredeemable character, but somebody else might say well, there was that, but there was this other thing. And I think there's situations like that in real life where you can quite put that, say, well, somebody did this really, really awful thing, but they also did this really, really good thing. And that makes me feel very conflicted. And I don't know quite what to do with that. Uh, and um, in, a, in a sense, that's kind of what the main character is dealing with, although it's mostly trauma. This is um, directed by Stephen Pierce. And I believe this is his first feature film. Done a lot of TV stuff, done quite a few shorts. But I believe this is his first feature. Um, and I think he's done a bang up job, to be quite honest. I mean, you know, he, he's chosen a, a relatively straightforward sort of genre to, to, to work in for this. But, but as I said, you know, I, I did like the sort of the allegory to, to COVID and, and, and things like that. I thought, that worked really well especially at the end um when it's like oh 
oh, okay, <laughs> you know, let's uh, kind of move on, <laughs> forget about what's ever that all this happened. Um, yeah, I thought this was pretty solid. Um, Steve, what are you going to score it? I'll give it a six. Mm -hmm. And Rich? I'm going to give it an eight, I think. I really, really liked it. Okay, I'm giving it a seven. Uh, so a six, a seven, and an eight, just like we had with um, She Came From The Woods. Uh, go check it out. Our next review is Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. This is the story of Roger Sharp, the young Midwesterner who overturned New York City's 35-year ban on pinball machines. Uh, Steve, over to you. What do you make of Pinball? Now, when I saw this, um, I really, really didn't fancy it. It just seems to be, you know, on this trend at the minute with, like, Air and Blackberry, you know, where they're just, mm -hmm. like, talking about... Tetris, whatever, yeah. yeah Tetris, yeah, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, it's, you know, it's a market employee or, you know, shoe deal and stuff like that. I was just like, no, I can't be asked for this. I really, really didn't fancy it at all. Didn't want to watch it. I thought, right, okay, I'll crack on it. And I absolutely loved it. Um, there's a charm about the character. Um, it, it, to be fair, it's more about him, you know, getting together with, you know, falling in love and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. writing a book about it, about pinball, because it, it, it's one of them, he's just kind of obsessed with it. It's like the only thing he's got in his life. And, I've tried to become a writer and stuff like that. And it's just so charming, so quaint. And one thing I did like about it is, you know, it, it kind of like starts off, off as an interview and, you know, how he is now and then goes back to the story. But then he keeps popping up. You know, well, no, this is how it happened. This is how it happened. And this is what we were doing. And this is what we weren't doing and stuff like that. And I just really, really enjoyed it. I got really engrossed in it. Um, I thought it was done really well. All, all the performances were really good, especially, you know, like the guys he was interviewing who created pinball and stuff. And it, to be fair, I mean, it, it seems so weird that something like this was banned for so long. Now, it's interesting you say that because... From what I understand, um, it was banned because it was considered to be a game of chance. Well, yes. yeah. Which, which, yeah. In which case, it, it makes it um, basically a gambling machine rather mm -hmm. than, you know, something yeah. where skill is involved. And I believe in the UK, there was a similar case brought to, I think it was darts. It was something like pub darts. Or something where they, where they tried to ban it, saying no, it, it's a game of chance, and and they had to sort of prove no, you need skill to actually sort yeah. of win, you know, which is which is what happens in in pinball as well, I believe. Yeah, mm. yeah, it does. Well, yeah, absolutely loved it. Mm. Uh, Rich, um, Rich, over to you. Yeah, you've missed the treat, Mike. Uh, this is really well. I think this is one of my favourite films of the year. 
uh, as, as as Steve was saying, it's charming. The whole film is charm. It's just it oozes charm. It's it's, it's such a charming film. It's really likable. Um, as say, it's, it's the it's the character. It's the way it's made. It's the sort of humor and stuff that goes through it. It's as a, probably appropriate for the kind of subject matter. It is a very playful film. So mm. it's it's playing with the conventions and uh, and you know the artistic license being that gets taken with life stories and stuff. So you're, you're, you're spending time, say initially on these like interview scenes uh, with um, the elder Roger Sharp, who's played by uh, Dennis Boutsakaris, who I couldn't place when I was watching it, but then I looked up, he, he was in stuff like batteries not included. Mm -hmm. uh, so I sort of picked him up, but he's great. And he's um, very sort of got this dry humor that he's doing through the, through the movie. And they're like, uh, and like Steve was saying, there's a lot of emphasis on the love story, and it's kind of he he. It's one thing that you know movies do that, you know they was like, oh, let's focus on the human story or whatever, and develop that. But it's all about what Roger wants to tell that story, and the and the filmmakers keep sort of interjecting, saying, but when are we going to get to the Kimball Pinball? <laughs> when are we going to get? When, when are we going to get to the fireworks factory? So the um the uh it's it's a very very formulaic kind of uh you know biopic story you know a triumph over the odds kind of thing that happens and it we int introduced to this young guy with this crazy mustache uh and the love story stuff is is say what we spend about half the time on it's great and you're really rooting for them mm. they're such life yeah. nice you know nice characters really well you know nicely drawn uh played by um uh, mike Faced and Crystal Reed, who is uh, uh, who's playing Ellen, who, who's his partner, who's um, uh, she's been in stuff like Gotham, Swamp Thing, and Teen Wolf. Um, uh, so she's got she's probably I think she's probably got the higher profile out of the two. And Mike mm -hmm. Faced, I couldn't really find much of him, but I didn't know any of one, any of really of the actors apart from say um, a, a passing recognition of of um, of the guy playing the Elder Sharp. Um, but they do this stuff like, you know, he, they're telling the story and then they're sort of like uh, Steve was saying, there's almost like a, they rewind and say, actually, it didn't, that didn't happen. You know, it's like, <laughs> it actually went more like this and stuff like that. Or, or you know, he's, uh, he's in the scene and he's like commenting on, you know, stuff. He's actually sitting in the scene. So one minute he's being interviewed. So he's sitting in a black background, but the next minute he's talking about what's happening. And he's sitting kind on the set. Like, and... Kind of like the craze film that we saw, The Code of Silence. Uh, could be, I can't remember, or, or but I have seen that device that. used. Yeah. He's, he's in this flashback sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. so it's, yeah. it's that kind of thing. And he's also, at times, he then interacts with people in his hmm. in his story. You know, it's like somebody passed him a drink or whatever it is anyway. But you know, it's like there's, there's playful little stuff happening. And the story is so interesting because I had no idea about it. And it's really well told. You know, it's fascinating, really. Um, you know, and they go into the history of it and like, why did, why did that happen? And the task that he's got, which ends up being sort of like a little thing, really, at the end, but it has like this big impact. But it's more about drawing the characters and sort of telling the sort of long, you know, the long game story of, of it and how much he loves the pinball machines and stuff. And so it's it's almost documentary at times, hmm. which is great, which is nice. Um, I'd love to. I, don't, I would actually like to see a documentary version of this. Uh, I think that would be just as just as interesting. I could certainly see someone like Netflix making that. Um, yeah. So it's probably only a matter because, like you say, 
there's so many both feet of dramas and documentaries about these sort of random sort of uh, side stories or funny little quirks or about products or whatever it is you know like we've had the founder with um uh, michael keaton and all and yeah. like i say i think the social network started a lot of this stuff you know it's like so let's take this thing that you you know of you know in your daily life and we're going to tell a story around it or whatever that's kind of a more you know prestige example and air being another prestige example but then you've got say films like this i loved uh, this is great i mean it's, you you will not regret sitting down and spending like an hour and a half with these characters awesome on that note guys how are you going to score it steve uh, i'm going to give it an eight and rich i'm going to give it an eight as well awesome two eights for pinball the man who saved the game go check it out our short shot this week is the oath this is a batman fan film about a gotham police sergeant who has a crisis of conscience in a dark alley one night um this is very much stylized along the lines of um tim burton's uh, original batman not so not so much the sequel uh it's got a nice score going for it it's, it's got a great aesthetic um Really good costumes, it has to be said. You know, the 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 Gotham PD costume with the sort of leather coats and things. It looks very much like, um, you know, the, the costumes used in, in Burton's film. Um, and and it's a pretty decent little story overall. I mean, some of the you know the action bit doesn't quite work, but other than that, I think it's it, it's pretty solid. Um, the only thing is 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 the sort of bit at the end, and. The guy just seems too unemotional with what happens. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm with yeah. you on that. But other than that, I thought this, you know, this certainly looked great. Um, I have to say, uh, Steve, how did you get on with this? Yeah, I was impressed about what it looks. Um, <clears throat> I enjoyed it. One thing that got me was as it's coming through. I'm sure that some of the scenes like. The dialogue was lifted directly from. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, Batman. Yeah, it, it wasn't just me then thinking that. Um, no, there's the whole film is is full of references, both you know spoken and sort of background mm -hmm. or details or whatever yeah, to the yeah. to the 1989 yeah. film. It's it's they're, in they're, that universe, isn't it? Because they're very you know, much on the nose. Eckhart, don't they? And, yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, uh, Grissom and Grissom. And that, yeah, it was. Well, no, uh, Come. Go on, no, I was going to say, yeah, Grissom was uh, sort of Jack Palance's character, wasn't he? That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, I, I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, that little bit at the end was a bit, mm. but apart from that, yeah, I thought it was great. You know, the, that ending, do you remember on the Fast show? Yeah. When it used to be that character who, you know, you'd just be like making a cup of tea or something, and he'll say something like, and uh, and then we won the lottery. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it kind of reminded yeah. me of that. <laughs> yeah, all the, all these cool things happen. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> Just thought it was like, surely, but maybe maybe he was sort of balancing it with his guilt, you know, sort of what what almost didn't happen, sort of thing. So mm. maybe, but even so, and uh, then Wayne Foundation gave me a blank check, which was nice. Yeah. 
But um, yeah, otherwise, I thought this was pretty solid. Um, written and directed by Rich. Johnny K. Johnny K. Yeah, I thought this was um, really well done. Very, you know, great production values, let's say. Um, it's, it's just that little bit of kerfuffle. Um, it, you know, there's no real sort of choreography or anything to it. It's just I like, like the kerfuffle. I was I was happy with okay. the kerfuffle. All right. Apparently, <laughs> when he does the when he does the bat fist, yeah, you know the sort of which is probably the most recognizable reference to the mm. uh, to the film. Um, he did actually hit him in the face. <laughs> so there's a making there's a making of bit that's uh, that shows that yeah he didn't and the guy who we hit was didn't break character. He was hmm. like, um, he, he was like, I'm prepared for it. If it happens, I'm just going to yeah. go with it. <laughs> and he did it, but it was the guy playing Batman who, did, who didn't know, uh, and he was, and he broke characters because he was like, oh my god, <laughs> so I didn't mean to hit you, kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I thought that stuff worked nice. I mean, there's lots of um, say it's, uh, I think it's sort of prequel, early part of the, early part of the um, the Tim Burton movie that this yeah. is kind of set yeah. at. Um, the I do think on the limited budget they did an excellent job of matching the aesthetic yeah. of the of the, of the Burton film. There's a, there's a uh, bit know, there's of a like, nice... yeah, there's a bit of like the animated series in there as well, isn't there? It's sort of, so, there's, there's a few scenes the way it's lit. It, mm. it does come across like the uh, the animated series, which, which itself like... was very drawn from yeah. you know influenced by. What, what Burton started exactly. doing, I, I think. Yeah. Although, well, that in turn was sort of based on, I don't know if it was, was it the Frank Miller work that he was pulling mm. from? So I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I'm not very up on on all that. And it, um, but yeah, I thought there's, you know, the shot framing and stuff, and you know, that the, there's a bit near the start where he's kind of walking through, and there's stuff like in the foreground, like big cogs and stuff. Yeah. And actually looking through these things, there's some, which is all sort of feels quite organic to that sort of Tim Burton version of the story. Uh, Batman himself is basically a cameo. Mm. So it, as you, as you're saying, it's, um, it's very much based on this sort of other character encountering Batman. Uh, but it's more about his story, uh, which is fine. And I think that's a good way to go about it. Um, the, um, the whole moral dilemma thing and there's some good foreshadowing and stuff about that you know he's having yeah. conversations and he's like they're talking about how he's the righteous one but then he's like pocketing some cigarettes off of a off of a victim and stuff like that and you're like well there's something not not 100 percent about this character um and they do that quite nicely um yeah that the, they do things like they incorporate the recognizable um batarang and and stuff from from the movie and that's well you know like the they're not like necessarily the original props, but you know, or replicas or whatever. So that that all adds to it. And it, unfortunately, the car's not in it. I, I do need to stress that there have been Batman uh, fan films which have featured the replica of the Batmobile, but this is very much a, a small scale kind of story. It's all set around, uh, or mostly set around uh, the outside of a sort of an industrial. But there's not even room to park a car really in that particular area that they will that they will be. But the whole point is, it's that horror Batman. You know, it's the it's the the early part of Tim Burton's film where the Batman is like this thing to be feared, which yeah. also Christopher Nolan sort of incorporated as well in in the early parts of uh, Batman Begins was um, you know making him something that 
was a monster that people were scared of, you know, and stuff. And they were like, oh, this can't be, you know, real. You, you don't talk crazy. Don't talk about bats and stuff. And it's like, um, so, but I thought that was all very well done. And I, I do wish they hadn't been so on the nose with some of the dialogues. They literally saying things that are exactly the same as in the movie because that sort of took me out of it. Because I was thinking, well, that would never happen. There's no chance that two those two people would end up saying exactly the same thing. You know, I want to I want to feel that these things are connected, uh, and that sort of took me out of it. But I did think it was a good quality. I mean, we've seen a lot of Batman shorts, mm-hmm. um, and I think with with the re- with the recent release of the Flash and that film's own references to um, uh, the 1989 Batman, I thought this was a, quite an apt one to look at. It came out tail end of last year right um but if you're you know if you if you you know if you if you're interested in um you know the batman, batman in the older versions of the batman and stuff i think um this would be uh you know an interesting sort of not companion piece to the flash but to you know to sort of um to sort of explore yeah. other aspects of that there's actually uh, I'll, I'll just give another reference to um another short film i think it's called flashpoint which is um which has got an i think it's called flashpoint part one which came out quite recently it, it, it's like the setup it's a short say it's a short that's like the first of a potential series um but it's got a very different kind of take on batman uh he you know which i hadn't seen before i'm not familiar with the flashpoint paradox and all that sort of stuff so it, it came out left, left field and that might, I think the Flashpoint was an influence on the Flash as well, to a degree. I haven't seen it, so I can't say, but I've heard that there's elements of the Flashpoint stuff in there. Um, so that could be another one that people might want to sort of have a little Google to find, because mm-hmm. um, that's a very different interpretation of um, who the Batman character is, let's say. Cool. Well, we don't score the shorts, but we do recommend you check them out. And yeah, if you're in the mood for the Flash, etc., you know, you'll come out of seeing that they want a bit more batman why not check this one out uh, you will find a link to this in the footnotes below go check it out our dtv throwback this week is amateurville dollhouse a children's dollhouse which is a miniature of the infamous haunted long island house is given to a young girl where the demonic evil soon comes out to cause more terror you see, there I have a problem straight away. <laughs> they, now, now just um, did I miss something in this film? But is there any actual link between the dollhouse and the original Amityville house made no, in the film? No, not at all. No. It's just not, the fact that it, reference. it's like it looks like the Amityville house, so therefore it must be possessed, yes. basically. Yeah. Um, well, there's no, there's the possibility that it was, it, it was once made and, you know, kept at the house or whatever, you know, and it's come from there, but that is not explored at all in the film itself. No. Whether, whether that was something that was in an earlier draft of the script or whatever, and they, for whatever reason, they didn't include it, but no, they don't even say the word Amityville. Sorry, you think there was an earlier draft to the script? My God. <laughs> Here's here's the bit that sort of really bounced me out of the film though, when it, when he when he the dad finds the yeah. dollhouse in the shed, you know there's an old the, the story is guys so, you know the dad has um, you know renovated this house or or built it on 
you know, this ground and he used the old fireplace as the sort of standing point. Um, and there was an old shed which he decided to keep at the side. And he goes, it finally goes into. He the never side. looked in it. Never looked in it before. <laughs> yeah, I had to sort of use the bolt cutters to get into it. He finds the dollhouse, right, under a top hole in that, and he goes, "Cool." Takes that into the house, and of course, as he removes it, it reveals a, I don't know, sort of um, a big cut out from a newspaper, an old newspaper, which says, you know, sort of house burnt down, lun- was it lunatic dad? Um, no, deranged, that's it, deranged father blamed for the, for Arsenal or something like that. And yeah. it's it, it's there on the wall. So putting the timeline together for this, the house has been burnt down. Yeah. And after that, someone's decided to take a newspaper clipping about the house burning down and put it on the wall inside the shed. Why? Yeah. Why? I'm looking at it. Who the hell? Who the hell? Reasons. 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 (laughs) Because it's money playing. But anyway. Because the the movie can't happen without it. (laughs) I suppose it needs a bit, you know, it's trying to sort of gear us up. They haven't got time. They haven't got the time or the money for the character to go on an investigation and yeah. end up at a library looking at microfiche. Indeed. To yeah. then find Which that is what we want. Which so is- they said, you know what? Uh, We're just going to put it there yeah. Yeah. and then the camera can linger on it and everybody knows where we stand. And hopefully yeah. no, nobody sort of tries to work out why it's there. <laughs> it's a movie I, called Amateurville Dollhouse. I, I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, come on. So, I know, I know. Um, I, and you know there there is a bit of schlocky fun to be had here. I, I was actually quite reminded of the film House at times mm-hmm. with with the, with the makeup design of um, you know the kids' dead dad and stuff yeah. like that. I thought that was actually quite good. Um, it does sort of like borrow a little bit from Amityville Two, I believe, when the um, the you know the the new wife starts having hots for. Um, her stepson, yeah, which is kind of bizarre. There's a, there's a lengthy sex scene earlier on as well, where she's looking at the photo, and the, the photo keeps changing. As, yeah, I think that's quite I, effective. I, I thought, thought it was. Quite, yeah. I thought that was quite good, actually. I quite like that bit. Um, yeah, the, uh, you know, the kids are like mm, the trouble is, yeah. it's, it's such a um, dysfunctional family. You know, if 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 they if if they were any more likable, they'd have figured out what's going on and and pissed off a long time ago, you know. But because they don't talk to each other, it's like you know, takes takes some ages to figure out what's happening. The bit that got me was when the son's girlfriend gets set on fire. Oh yeah, and he can't hear the screaming because he's making margaritas in a blender. (laughs) And I was, I was just. Piss myself laughing, to be fair. <laughs> I mean, it's not, you know, it, it is what it is. It's not going to make win any Oscars, you know. Like mm. you said, with the name Amityville Doll's House, you know, it's just going to be schlock. And, you know, and the effects at the end with the um, supposed, were the demons or? Yeah, something like yeah, that. Basically, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, mean, they were, I mean, they were terrible, to be fair. But 
some of the makeup was I mean, like the burn effects on the makeup I thought was really good mm-hmm. on, on the girl, on the girlfriend and stuff. And but it is what it is, you know. You know what you're getting <laughs> with a title like that. I mean, was was not one of them where it was haunted lamp instead as well. Uh, it's interesting you say that. So that's where, yeah, that was the fourth one. And yeah. that was basically the, uh, imp- that's the theme that a lot of these sort of later Amateurville movies, including this one, uh, use. So it was like a haunted lamp, then it was a clock, then it was a mirror. So are these like then, things which used to belong in the Amityville house and now being yeah yeah that's the way it sort of set out originally. And the funny thing was, I was reading about the, the cover art for this in the UK. Hmm. Apparently, the cover is imagery from Amityville Four. It like shows the lamp and stuff. It's not. It doesn't actually relate necessarily to this. But I never picked up on it. I don't think it really matters. I think it looks fine. But um, yeah, apparently that's the whole thing. It is that cold cursed object kind of thing because. Once you got past a certain point, you know, they were just sort of slack. The budgets were a lot lower. Mm. So rather than trying to film at the actual property or a replica of it or whatever, it, the easiest thing is to just go somewhere else and just <laughs> use the name Amateurville, isn't it? So that's the sort of DTV. It's funny. It's, these are a bit like um, uh, what the Hellraiser films became. Mm. You know, the sort yeah. of the latter Hellraiser films were kind of like, Oh, we're just going to make a story. We're just going to throw the Cenobites in just for a couple of minutes, and we're going to call it Hellraiser and kind of package it off, and that's it. And that's kind of what they yeah. did with these Amateurville movies before that. It was just like, um, um, you know, they did three theatrical films. Then there was the oh. TV movie, which was the fourth one, and then and then like the series of DTV stuff, of which this was the. Because I wasn't sure how official this one was. You see. Yeah, because there's loads of you know we've had this kind of resurgence of films of Amateurville for all these unofficial Amateurville Amateurville this that and the other that are not part of the franchise. So I wanted yeah. to see what was what was official franchise, and this is the eighth in the, the sort of the 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 last in the original run of Amateurville films before the Ryan Reynolds remake, mm. and then there was another one a couple of years ago with um, Bella Thorne, which oh. uh, I haven't seen yet, but no. that's that's set in a world where the Amateurville film, the Amateurville movies are movies. Oh, so that was set in like a real, it's like metal one, yeah, which I haven't seen yet, but this one was the sort of tail end. And I guess you, the, the, it's a natural sort of end point to, for, the, for the original run for it to be a, a, a film with such <laughs> a sort of a silly silly concept i think but i like it <laughs> did you guys did you guys see the ryan reynolds one yeah yeah i did i've, I've got it actually yeah there's, there's a bit in that which is it. like pure which, which i just think is hilarious where he, he he sort of like wakes up and he sees in the corner of his room like like a hanging corpse and he's mm-hmm. like oh yeah like that and his wife wakes up and goes what's wrong and he goes nothing and goes back <laughs> to sleep <laughs> but <laughs> The, the, other, the other thing about this film, um, which I thought was quite funny, is that the, the, the last, like, five minutes is just explosions. Yeah. And it's, oh, it, God. It's, How it's, many it's, times has that house blow up? 
it's 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 like Beavis and Butthead, you know, watching yeah. it. You know, it's like fire, fire, fire. <laughs> I tell you, well, what it reminded me of, it reminded me of um, ha- uh, David Gordon Green's Halloween, because you know, right. at the end, at the end of that film, mm. there's the doll's house, and that's where the fire starts. So you have got the doll's house burning, yeah, but then you've got the main house burning, mm. and it's basically exactly the same as in this, except in this one, both of them explode. Um, but the um, I just thought that was quite curious. But the yeah, quite amusing. But I do I really like this. I saw it when it came out, uh, and it's kind of one of those. Um, it's so much of the time, you know. The, the the fact that a film called Amateurville Dollhouse, you know, just it just it it still seems crazy to me that that was a, a title that got made into a movie. But so it's I think. It, it does work, although it's say it's not got the reference. I'm not a big Amateurville movies fan, so therefore it's, I didn't really pick up on necessarily yeah, all. There's the, not a lot he can do with lack Amateurville, of really. You know, no, uh, but what? Uh, you know, yeah. Unless you're going to sort of go, go into the background as to why it's haunted or anything like that, which yeah. you know, it's, so there's not really a lot you can do. It's it's just a house that's possessed. You know, yeah. In in but some I think the doll stuff works. I think the doll's house itself I think, is I think really it's well made. It's pretty well done. It's it's uh, a great prop, and the the Amateurville house, which is one of the great assets of the series, which obviously wasn't used so much in in so much late. But at least it's present in a form in this. You yeah. know, it's a yeah. model form, but yeah. it's present, and it just the house looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's got you know, it's got those eye like with you know the attic yeah, windows yeah, with like eyes yeah. which is a real what what um again i was looking into it's a dutch colonial house i was looking into it it's called it's actually called 112 ocean avenue in amateur long island yeah and the the people who've bought the house you know they've tried to get part you know they've, um they've tried to get it past its past you know to move on because yeah, they get too much yeah. attention they've actually got rid of those windows now mm. so it's got like quite standard um as like rectangular windows and stuff which i think is a real shame because you know it's got that those those windows were so much part of the character um but you know it is what it is but because that's where um was it ed and lorraine warren sort of made their name isn't that was because that that was one of their cases they they wrote the original book about uh, you know the amateurville horror whatever um which is long been long since been debunked of course but yeah that, you know that was the uh was starting point. yeah i'm pretty sure it was i thought it was all real oh, yeah. sorry sorry to disillusion you, you do know no. that santa claus right <laughs> <laughs> no but the um the there was there were murders there originally weren't there that was mm. what the thing was yeah. there was there were originally some murders so it's a murder house but then it became this haunted house kind of story and that's kind of what thing. And then I think, uh, from what I was looking into, Amateurville Two was based on the original murders. Amateur, yeah, Amateurville Two is got different, isn't it? Because because the first half of it is, you know, the, or the first third of it is the murders, mm. and then and then it becomes like a courtroom drama about the, you know, and then an exorcism at the end. I think. Oh okay. Yeah. Because, you know, the son kills the family and then he's like, mm. try, you know, considered to be insane and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Anyway. Um, but with yeah, this yeah. film, I yeah. will say that I really, <coughs> I liked all the family dynamic stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought that, you know, they they put a lot, because it's, um, 
it's a step family you know mm-hmm. that it's two two, uh, two it's families coming bunch. together <laughs> it's the brady yeah bunch. it's a brady bunch kind of thing uh, and the funny thing. well the lead the lead the dad mm. is like a sitcom tv dad mm. <laughs> so i quite like that about him and you know they've all got their issues and stuff and i thought the film sort of exploited those and the the evil sort of presence or whatever it was exploited mm-hmm. those nicely the the stuff with the the zombie like dad i thought was really yeah. good i say the makeup looks great the uh the ending i don't know if they'd watched um wes craven's new nightmare which was around the same time this was mm-hmm. 1996 but the ending of wes craven's new nightmare is very similar you know it's that whole kind of uh, going into his nightmare dimensions, going into yeah. the nightmare world, and then having to battle him in in that domain kind of thing. And they do the same thing here, but they dive into the fireplace, and and then you've got the the demons that they see. Apparently, um, they didn't have any money, so it's like whatever bits they had lying around in the effects shop, and they just sort of stuck them all together. Which is why they call it, they sort of just sort of wobble around a little bit, and they don't yeah. really look that effective. I could have done with without that. I think that the film didn't really need that bit. But I thought everything else worked really nicely. All the stuff with the fireplace, and the, the you know the, the all the stuff here, and like you say, the burn. Uh, Lisa Robin Kelly, uh, who died actually a few years ago, very sadly. But um, just want to mention a couple of other things. Um, mm. I don't know how you guys watch this. I, I, I watch it with my headphones on, and throughout the whole film, you've got this sort of intermittent buzz of a fly coming in and out of your, your ears. It, it's really, really horrible. <laughs> you didn't get that? No, I didn't get no. that. Oh, crumbs. Yeah. No, it's, it's just... I did there. like the fact that it was in widescreen. Uh, I've, 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 I've not seen it in widescreen before, so that was... A, I believe... Uh, now, I'm not sure if they've actually put it out mm-hmm. in the States, but at the end of the at the end of the film on Prime, that's where we mm-hmm. saw it, uh, the, vinegar, the vinegar syndrome... A vinegar syndrome logo comes up so i'm not sure if this is a a version that's currently on blu-ray in the states uh um, but uh yeah they that seems to be the source Um, okay the the other bit i I must admit i did like uh was was the um the animated voodoo doll yeah i I, see other people thought that was a bit silly but i i actually think yeah it's a little bit silly but i like it i thought it was a good little sequence i thought they did quite a good job of like you know, it looks quite innocuous, but then all of a sudden when it sits up, it's got like a slightly evil, you know, the way they've sort of stitched the eyes and everything. Yeah, it, I it think it looked did, good. did a really good job of, um, oh, no, it's the evil version. Um, but yeah, that, that was quite an effective sequence. So, yeah, it's it's schlocky, it's stupid, but it's also very entertaining. Um, and also you've got to put in, take into account, I mean, most of the film takes place in this house in a very isolated environment. Mm. There's not really, there's like one or two scenes that take place elsewhere, but it doesn't feel like really, really cheap. I think it feels like a, I mean, compared to some of the stuff we watch now, like like uh, Incantation, which has a similar kind of isolated mm. house setting. I thought it felt like a real movie. And, and that's something I do miss from, you know, from the, say, that we that you, you see in these like 90s DTV movies that the, the newer ones just don't really have. It's got that real, it still feels like a proper film, even when it's like, you know, uh, a cheaper chip sort of, you know, B movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought that, that, that added to its charm for me. Yeah, cool. Well, we don't score the throwbacks, but we do recommend you go check them out. You'll find this one on Amazon Prime. Um, 
and it is, as, as Richard mentioned earlier, it's in a good print, it's, it's in widescreen. Um, listen to it on headphones, see if you can hear the, the buzzing, <laughs> the buzzing of the fly, and see if you get creeped out by it like I did. Um, in the amateur horror, wasn't there the, the, the flies actually, yeah. or the bees in the room? Or something? Yeah. Maybe that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there you go. And that is the end of this week's show. So thanks for listening. Thanks to Rich and Steve for checking out these films. I am kicking myself. I didn't get to see Pinball. Um, just like the go watch it. Go watch it. couple of weeks ago when I missed... What was that one I missed a couple of weeks ago, which turned out to be really good as well? Ugh, never mind. Um, but yes, do check these out, especially um pinball and she came from the woods and cerebrum we, we certainly enjoyed those thanks for listening tune in next time thank you for listening to the dtv digest let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time <laughs>